0: see how are you doing today? It's great to get to be here with you. We're in week two of a brand new series. You saw the video, Handle with Care. We're talking about God's design for sexuality. And so we're really glad that you joined us today. We want to welcome you guys here in Powell, those joining us in Apple Valley and in Hesperia today, big welcome to you as well. And so we dive in today. Um, pursuing kind of that idea of going, God, what is it you want? What is it that you've designed sex to be? And that'll be our topic for today. One thing we've been telling parents in this series is we want to be great allies to you. And one of the things we're just shooting over the bow as we dive in today is that if you have smaller kids in our services today, just know we're going to be talking about God's design for sex. And so if that's a conversation you haven't had yet with your kids, you sure will after today. Uh, so if you want to, Instead, have them in our kids' programs, which we would encourage you every week. It's just a great space, kids birth to sixth grade. I uh, have spaces all over our campuses to have really great ministry pointed and aimed right at them, but just want to let you know that, so as we dive in today, you'll be ready to go. There are so many voices, so many opinions, so many ideas uh, we are that communicated, are communicated to us about what sex is and what it should or could be like. And that's why we felt like this series was so important because we wanna hear from God, the creator and originator of sex, to be able to have a good understanding and foundation for our own lives. That's the goal of this series, just to echo back what the Bible says and teaches about God's design. And we believe that because sex comes from God, then therefore it's a holy sexuality. And that's why we wanna hear it from him first. It's important to us. And like the video reminded us, therefore we also realize the gravity of it. We wanna handle it with care, be very thoughtful according to his design. I want to remind you briefly of even why we're doing this series, and it's really because we know that of all the different input that you are getting, usually over things like the internet, which today is not a problem at all, no worries, um, we know that there, it, it can just become something that helps begin to frame your view of the world based on just the proliferation of messages. So we thought that Jesus's church should be the one that speaks to the subject because it is in the design and order of God, not a a thing that happened outside of his care or, or even awareness, but something absolutely put together by him. The other thing is when it comes to the what, this series is gonna really focus on the fundamentals. It's gonna be very essential, which will be frustrating because there will be weeks you'll go, man, why didn't he talk more about or why didn't he address? And we're saying in advance, we get it. You're gonna be disappointed about some things. But we do believe it's important to kind of create a foundation that we can build off in the future. And when it comes to the who for this series, this series is for you. It's for all of us, no matter where you're at in a continuum of walking according to God's design or being very far from it. We want you to hear God's design so that you can walk in it. And we realize that in a culture that we live in today where it is so absolutely offensive to say that anything is right or wrong. We get it in advance and we're not trying to stir the pot. But what we are trying to do is to lay that foundation so you can know how to walk according to God's design. And what we aren't gonna do is come in and just drop Bible bombs and walk away. But we love this language from Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love. That's gonna be our approach and our tactic. And know and the goal in Ephesians 4 is when we speak that way, it is so that we wouldn't be tossed around on every wave of opinion and idea or false doctrine, but instead we would grow up into him who is the head, Christ himself. So that's our goal and that's why we're doing this series and we're glad to move forward into it with you today and another, another step in that direction. Today, as we talk about God's design specifically for sex, we know we're talking about a very powerful thing on a host of fronts. I found a quote that I just think really communicates the idea that sex is anything but neutral. Frederick Buechner said this, sex is not sin. Contrary to Hugh Hefner, it's not salvation either. Like nitroglycerin, it can be used either to blow up bridges or to heal hearts. I love that quote. And it's saying that there is great power in this thing that God has wired for us, in us, but also given to us as a gift and power to destroy when used wrongly, power to heal and bring incredible oneness when used correctly. I would be naive in a space like this or any of our other campuses to not assume that for many of us, when we talk about this issue of sex, it's a very difficult subject. For some, it's difficult because of what has happened to you. That far beyond God's design, people have taken advantage of you sexually. And so when we talk about sex, it it recurs a lot of memories, a lot of difficult experiences. I just want you to know, we see you. We recognize that's part of your story. But I want you to know this, it doesn't have to be the end of your story. So what God can heal, what God can redeem, God's beautiful design can be something you can know and experience. And I just, I want you to know that from the beginning, we recognize this can be a tough subject, but we want to keep drawing you back to what God can atone in your life and redeem and even present a great opportunity moving forward. Conversely, some of you would say, well, Todd, the destructive power of sex in my life is not because of what people have done to me, it's what I volitionally did myself. We see you as well. And we realize, I want you to know from the beginning today, we said it last weekend, this is not a series of shame. This is a series of hope because we're hearing God's design from a God who is so rich in mercy and forgiveness and who is a God of course corrections. And so we want you to know from the beginning today, there is hope and a future. Even if you've walked outside of God's design, it is something he can bring healing to as well. So I'm excited to dive in today with those uh, understandings from the very beginning. If you have a Bible, would you make your way literally to page one? We're gonna be back in Genesis one today. If you have your notes, have those ready to go. Here's our first thing to fill in today. Since sex is God's idea, seek to understand it from his word, the Bible. Since sex is God's idea, seek to understand it from his word, the Bible. I was initially surprised, it was years ago, Pastor George and Cassie had been doing such a great job with our um, premarital process. They would usually have multiple couples at once go through just six classes of God's design for marriage. And Pastor George couldn't make it to the sixth and final class one time and asked if I would sub. And obviously as you're doing a, a sequence on premarital just preparation for couples, one thing you're gonna talk about is God's design for sex and what that is going, what his design is once they would complete that covenant in, in marriage. And so that was my week that I stepped in on, it was week six, and I actually was like, I'm actually in, encouraged, I wanna talk to these couples about God's design for sex. So. There were nine couples, if you do the math, that's 18 people in the room. And the curriculum then I began with, let's talk about who have been your teachers, who have been your tutors related to sex. And I asked the question and we went around the room and I was initially surprised to find out out of 18 people, only two, only two could say that they found out about God's design for sex from their parent or parents or from a youth pastor or another trusted adult. That means 16 of them had other teachers, poor teachers, like their friends on the junior high playground, like what they could find on the internet, like what they just wondered to themselves. These were their teachers. And we realized real quickly, those are very poor tutors. And then as I was processing that conversation, I had to stop and realize in my own life, though, that was no different for me. I'm 52 and I'm still waiting to have the talk with my dad. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. And all kidding aside, we made a point though. Jackson was on this stage a couple weeks ago. made a big point to parents. Would you please not shirk this responsibility? Would you please not turn aside because it's awkward, because it's weird, but instead to say, no, no, no. I want my son or my daughter to understand God's design for their sexuality. They need to hear that from me. I'm their primary spiritual trainer. And as high your church, we'll be great allies to you to whatever degree we can. But at the end of the day, that's part of your role. Now, another way to be allies, I mentioned last week, we have an incredibly just uh, thick resource uh, list for you. If you didn't text it last week, and if your phone ever comes back on, this is the word laundry, according to our series theme, text laundry to 64567. It's there in your notes, so you don't forget. And what that's going to do is it's going to send you back a link to our resource page. And on that resource page, among so many other great references, is some area of help, of talking to your kids about sexuality. A great website called Birds and Bees with a mom and her adult daughter who kind of lead that, have some great curriculum and ideas, as well as a book that our junior or our student and our kids ministries um, recommend all the time called The Talks. That's also on there, talks plural. That's also on there, so you can have a frame of resource. For Joanna and I, this is what we did. We wanted that for our kids, for them not just to hear something from us, but have an open dialogue. And so for Joanna, it began with just a day away with one of our daughters. For me, I took Jackson to a Dodger game. And it wasn't just that one time, but it was anything you ever are confused about or wanna know, I'm an open door come back and talk to me. And that's what our goal would be for our church family, that we would have that kind of communication with our kids because we wanna see them raised in such a way that they would know God's design and walk according to it. So rather than paying attention to the poor teachers in our worlds, let's instead look at God's word. In your notes, letter A, those sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife has many components. Its primary purpose is to demonstrate the glory of God. Its primary purpose is to demonstrate the glory of God. Your Bibles are open at Genesis one, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created Him them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and watch and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So this is a passage we looked at last weekend as well. Everything is so foundational in Genesis one and two. And as we look at Genesis one and we see that God creates a male and a female and then really gives them two directives, give leadership, provide leadership over this space I've given you over all the other created order, but then secondly, fill this space. And, and what is happening is, Adam and Eve, if they were going to live out God's design for their lives, if they were going to demonstrate that they believed, they trusted that their father, their creator was good and had their good in mind, they were going to follow his prescription, follow his design for their lives. And the same is true for us today, thousands of years later, if we will lean in and believe that God, his design is not, he's not trying to keep us from something that would be better than what he's given us. He's not trying to um, preclude us from things that are so much of a better um, good than what he says is good. But instead, if we would trust him and be convinced, God, your way is always for my good, then we actually glorify, we focus the attention on who God is when we live according to his design. At the end of that creative process this is what God said about everything including how he had designed man and woman and what commission he'd given him them verse 31 of chapter 1 God saw all that he had made and it was very good let her be in your notes God's design for sex is within the lifelong one flesh covenant of marriage God's design for sex is within the lifelong one flesh covenant of marriage. We're gonna move ahead in your Bible, the first book in the New Testament, Matthew 19. Jesus is going to quote what we looked at last week in Genesis 1 and 2. Verse three, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? The text even tells us they're trying to trap Jesus in this conversation about the challenges of being married. Look what Jesus says, verse four, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So here's Jesus. And one important thing we mentioned last week, we don't look at Genesis one and two and call it a myth or a fable. And one of the significant reasons why we don't, number one, we don't think of anything about scripture that way, but number two, people like Jesus, people like Paul, they will literally quote Genesis one and two related to God's design ongoingly for marriage and sex. So this is a big deal. This is not a a thing that's just kind of this um, overview in the beginning of your Bible, but Jesus and Paul believe these to be true accounts of what God did. And this is what Jesus says. He borrows from these ideas, male and female, that we're gonna be brought together in a covenant relationship. and, And they're no longer connected, dependent to their families of origin, but now they are a new family together. And in that, they have the most unique relationship because the two have become one. There's a one flesh relationship they experience now in marriage. This is a big deal and it's Jesus reiterating what we had from the very beginning. It's really interesting, the last phrase that Jesus says, therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. You've actually heard that phrase, if you've watched enough rom-coms that end in a marriage sequence, you've actually heard that phrase, but it comes oddly. The person officiating will say, now is there any reason this couple shouldn't be married today? And I'm just gonna tell you now, as someone who's officiated dozens of weddings, you don't need to have that in your ceremony. Okay, that's all kinds of stupid because if anyone had a problem, they should have come to you a lot earlier than today. Okay, that's on them. But here's the point though, when you hear that infamous phrase, usually then the person officiating says the very next phrase, what God has joined together, let no man separate as though the the words are intended for other people getting in and dividing this couple. That's not what Jesus said at all. What God has joined together, what a couple has committed and covenanted to one another, let neither of them separate this union. It's not about problems from without, it's from problems from within. We don't have enough time in today's topic to talk about all the, the biblical ideas related to marriage and divorce, but just hear this, God's design for marriage is a lifelong one flesh relationship. Letter C. In your notes. God's design for sex is based on an intended mutuality due to the new ownership of our bodies. An intended mutuality due to the new ownership of our bodies. Here's what I mean. First Corinthians seven, Paul's writing to that group of believers. Verse three, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, this passage has a lot to unpack, but at least here, this main point that's in there is this concept of when I come together in the covenant of marriage with my spouse, I don't belong to myself like I used to. My wife, Joanna, now has a claim on my body that nobody else does and even I don't have in the same way I did before we were married and the likewise is same for her. So what Paul's talking about is there's another uniqueness. And this dynamic of what we're talking about is all related to the sexual expression that a married couple is experiencing. And Paul is saying, this is so unique. This is so different than who you were apart. Now you have this unique ownership of one another that you didn't have before. And it's incredible the mutuality that's being talked about. Note that this isn't intended or written just to the husband or just to the wife, but to both of them. And they both have this unique relationship now with the other. There is no room for sexual selfishness or deprivation, but now a release of control of one's body to the other. That's in this unique covenant of marriage. Finally, letter D, deep satisfaction is intended to be experienced in your marriage's exclusive sexual intimacy. Deep satisfaction is the intended experience. This is Solomon writing to his son, and he's telling him, hey, in your marriage, I hope you experience such rich satisfaction and there alone. Proverbs chapter five, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, this is very poetic language, read on. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Yes, I just read the word breast from the Bible in church. I didn't put it there, God did. But this is what I'm talking about. What Solomon is saying to his son is, on the one hand, stay far away. You you heard two weeks ago, Jackson's message was out of Proverbs 6 and 7. This is Proverbs 5. So at the headwaters, he's saying, enjoy, find this incredibly rich satisfaction with your wife, but with nobody else. And that exclusivity is meant to be engaged and, and encouraged in this relationship, but not anywhere else. Let me say, To you as High Desert Church, I know that what I'm talking about sounds so incredibly narrow in a world where there's no limits and everything is wide open. I get that. I'm not naive, but I do want you to know this is what God says is his unique intentional design for sex, a beautiful gift to be enjoyed within the covenant of a lifelong marriage. And so as we look at this, we're trying to understand God's design. It's important that we keep coming back to if he is a good, good father, this is what he says is for our best. I had alluded last week to a group of people that got together in 2017 and developed the Nashville statement. The group is called The Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And in it, they developed some different um, articles. Last week, I read a paragraph from their premise, and I wanna read a few articles today. I'm not bringing these up because these are on par with scripture or any of that, but I'm bringing them up because they summarize scripture so well. This is the first article in that statement. And by the way, the, it, the websites in your notes, you can always look up the entire thing for yourself. Article one, we affirm that God has designed marriage to be a covenantal, sexual, procreative, lifelong union of one man and one woman as husband and wife, and is meant to signify the covenant between Christ and his bride, the church. By the way, I appreciate in our teaching team this week, one of those descriptors, those adjectives procreative That can be challenging when you consider maybe in your marriage you're having infertility issues or maybe you get married at a time or a place where you're just not even planning on having kids. Are you somehow outside of God's will? And here's what I wanna say to that. This this summary statement is saying that God's typical design for marriage, the way that more human beings were going to be reproduced on the planet was through the lens of in a covenant marriage as a couple engaged in sex. So the point is, is that you're not somehow failing God if you're not able to have kids. And I just wanna be really clear about that because that's the last thing you need in that frustration and struggle is feeling somehow like you're less than and and not in God's will, that's not it. This is God's general design for marriage. Secondly, if that's what we affirm, then we deny that God has designed marriage to be a homosexual, polygamous, or polyamorous relationship. We also deny that marriage is is a mere human contract rather than a covenant made before God. Just good summary statements of what marriage is all about. Number two in your notes, once you understand the truth of God's design for sex, you'll be able to spot counterfeits. Once you've understood God's design for sex, you'll be able to spot counterfeits. Let's look at the word counterfeit for just a minute. We usually think of it with money, but it's anything, think of it this way, anything made to resemble or pass as so it's something authentic. So you've seen ripoffs of all kinds of things. It would also be a counterfeit version. And, And here's the real key to the word is that if you don't intend something to look like something else, you just make up your own new thing. But a counterfeit is, I actually want people to think this is as valid as the original, as worth, has the same amount of worth as that genuine article. And that's what a counterfeit is. And I think it's a beautiful metaphor in this conversation because of the way that Satan has done an amazing job passing off so many other things to be on par with that which is the original, with that which is authentic or genuine. And that's why this, the metaphor we're trying to use, and what we're saying is, what we want to spend our time in is coming in clear understanding, God, what is your design for sex? And then anything that is different from that, I can evaluate, but that's not God's design. That's not God's best. That's not the way that God put this whole thing together, and we'll have something to use as a grid for evaluation. And the reality is God said this would happen. This is not a, oh my gosh, a surprise to him. This is something he knew in advance that our world would struggle with. Ephesians chapter four, verse 18. They, talking about those who are far from God, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. That last line to me is so telling of our world today. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And so God said, this is going to be the way it's going to work. This is how people who don't have him in their life, who don't have the truth of the gospel, who don't have the indwelling spirit of God, will see that everything is wide open. I can indulge. I can go after anything because there's no thing that actually does matter. And that is according to anyone's design. And we can see how our world has gotten where it is. So within that, then we walk away with two really important things in in this message today. We understand God's authentic design for sex, at least a foundational understanding of it. And secondly, we recognize that any and everything else by definition then is a counterfeit. So if God's authentic design for sexuality is the oneness union of a husband and wife for their lifetimes, Let's just do a simple evaluation of other things that then don't fit that, things that we would call a counterfeit. Up on the screen, things like homosexual behavior. Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 would say that's a counterfeit to God's design. Homosexual marriage, Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5 would say that's a counterfeit to God's design. Transgender modification, Genesis 1 and Psalm 139 would say that's a counterfeit to God's design. Now, I pause there because for many of us today and all of our campuses, you read those first three and you go, yep, but the interesting thing is there are so many other things I haven't mentioned yet that are all about heterosexual deviations from God's design that we tend to look away from and don't pay attention to. But I want you to hear clearly, these are as much out of alignment with God's design as anything else. Premarital heterosexual sex, Hebrews 13 and 1 Thessalonians 4 would say, that's a counterfeit. Cohabitating sexual relationship, Hebrews 13 and Matthew 19 would say, that's a counterfeit. An adulterous affair, Hebrews 13 and Matthew 5, it's a counterfeit. Pornography in all its sensory forms, whether a video I watch, something I listen to, something I read, Matthew 5 and 1 John 2 say those are counterfeit denying your spouse sexually we looked at it in 1 corinthians 7 that's a counterfeit acting selfishly sexually towards your spouse first corinthians 7 and philippians 2 that's a counterfeit these and many more are all deviations from god's design and god's design though narrow is very clear and very simple So the reality is, as we process this, we have to keep being aware, God, anything outside of that design qualifies as something trying to pass itself off as being an original, being the genuine article, but it's not. There was a day when we used to use cash Okay. It might be today, by the way, with all our internet down. There was a day when we used to use cash. And what you do is you'd take a 20 and you'd hand it over the counter and someone would take their magic marker. You remember this? Take their magic marker. And, and I never, and it's not, well, let me say this. If you are someone who's printing counterfeit money, the whole rest of the thing I'm going to say does not apply to you because that's bad. Okay. I'm just going to tell you, don't do that. But I don't, I don't know what the secret thing was supposed to happen, but If it worked out the way it was supposed to, they took your money, the transaction gave you change if you needed it, whatever. But in the occasion that the magic marker did show something wrong, it would demonstrate you have a counterfeit bill. And then passing off counterfeit currency is no longer a theoretical question for you. You're about to do it. And you had really one of two options. To the person across the counter, look, a bird, and snag the money out of their hand and run out of the store hoping to be able to pass it off maybe to someone else who doesn't have a magic marker. Or you could do the thing that our authorities would tell you to do, and that would be to leave it with them. They're going to destroy it, and you're out 20 bucks. But that's what should happen to a counterfeit so it doesn't keep circulating in our culture. Take that same analogy and now consider this reality. You've been made aware of God's design for sex you really have one of two options. You can continue to try to pass off anything other than that as a counterfeit. It's okay, it looks like the real thing, it'll be, it'll pass, but you know different. Or you can be someone who says, God, even if I didn't know it before I walked in today or I've known it for a long time, what I've been doing is a counterfeit to your design. I wanna pass it off to your authority. I want to bring it to the foot of the cross and I want to let you have it to forgive it and I don't want it anymore. I don't want to walk in it. And and you have this crossroads tension now to live in. And I'm going to tell you now in advance, you and me even make a decision today that says, Jesus, I'm done. I know it's not your design. I said it there. But I'm going to tell you like so many things that are very attractive to us, it's hard to give it away once and for all. So in the occasion that you may fail again, would you not think it's over? Would you not think you couldn't still keep coming back to God and saying, God, please forgive me. Finding the help by his indwelling spirit, finding the help by Christian community to no longer stay in that counterfeit space. Because that's what we're called to do. That's what we're actually um, available to do is when we do fail, we can bring these things to God. First John 1, 9, we looked at it last week. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no caveat to the type of sin that's being talked about there. And what I love about this verse is it's not just saying this could happen, this is a promise, a promise from God. If we call it sin, confess it to God, he promises to forgive, but not just that, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the reality is is not only can we know God's forgiveness, but we're told as we turn around in repentance, not just to walk in the opposite direction, 1 Corinthians 6 would tell us to run in the opposite direction. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee, run from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. By the way, those words are given to a group of Christians who lived the city center they lived in. Joanna and I got to visit there in 2019. The city center they lived in was just below a mountain and on the mountaintop was the most famous brothel in the world, in the first century. That's the, in, that's the um, um, context in which Paul says to these Christians in Corinth, people who had lived so far out of God's design their whole lives. He gives them great words of not just direction, but hope, and that you can be forgiven. And you no, need no longer to think your body is your own and use it as you please, but it's God's. It's his The temple in which the spirit of God resides and you can live according to that new design by that new power now. Finally today, number three, once you understand sex's design, live according to it. Once you understand sex's design, live according to it. Letter A, maintain sexual chastity prior to marriage and sexual fidelity within it. Maintain sexual chastity prior to marriage and sexual fidelity within it. A great verse related to all these aspects is Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. God has a design for sex within the covenant of marriage. Anything outside of that we've said is a counterfeit. And And here's these two words. You don't hear the word chastity every day. And if you do, it's probably got some weird connotations. What you might be more familiar in the conversation of sexuality is the word abstinence, which just simply means to abstain from something. But I wanna tell you this, the word abstinence connotes the idea that it's something I have to do. It's something I'm told to do, rather than the word chastity is the, the same moral purity, but it's saying it's actually a volitional choice I make. I want to live according to God's design, not because I'm constrained to, but because I choose to. And that's a beautiful word when we understand it as it's intended. The other word in that sentence was the word fidelity, and fidelity is just a beautiful word for loyalty. So prior to being married, I wanna live in that kind of chastity. Once I'm married, I wanna live in that loyalty to my spouse that's god's design for my life and that's so important one of the things i regret knowing how much material we needed to cover today is i didn't get to spend time on what i think is the back side of the coin that rarely gets talked about at church and that is singleness and celibacy if we're going to talk about marriage and sex then the counterpoint to it is singleness and celibacy and sadly Our churches say next to nothing. I'm not just talking about HDC, but generally we rarely talk about singleness and we don't talk about what even this idea of celibacy looks like. So Pastor Kurt and I, it's in your notes and on the screen. We're going to film an episode of Tangible Takeaways this week and really devote the entire um, episode to this idea. What is God's design for singleness and what is biblical celibacy? Let's talk about that and give more information. That will really help you as you're walking through today if you're in a stage of singleness, well, what for me at this point? And that's where we want you to go. It'll drop Wednesday morning at six. If you don't already subscribe to Tangible Takeaways, do. and It'll show up in your YouTube feed. And I think it'll be a really good conversation. Letter B, if you have failed to live in God's design for sexuality, recognize that he both forgives, he forgives when you confess your sins and he heals you with his power to redeem. If you fail to live out God's design, know that he forgives, we just read that, 1 John 1, 9, and he has the power to heal as he redeems one of my favorite passages related to god's transforming work is just a few verses earlier in first corinthians 6 where we were a minute ago verse 9 do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who have sex with men nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of god that's a huge umbrella Only a few of those behaviors or lifestyles are sexual. They're all over the place, but watch this. And that is what some of you were. I already said Corinth was a place that was just decadent, sinfully. That is what you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is what you were. Let me tell you now who you are. And notice each of those verbs are passive. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We were washed. We didn't wash ourselves. We were sanctified. We were justified. All things that Jesus did in his atoning work on the cross. Man, that is something to be so encouraged by today. Finally, letter C in your notes. Oh wait, I have an article I wanted to read. Let me read this, uh, article 12. We affirm that the grace of God in Christ gives both merciful pardon and transforming power, and that this pardon and power enable a follower of Jesus to put to death sinful desires and to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's what we affirm. Here's what we deny, that the grace of God in Christ is insufficient to forgive all sexual sins and to give power for holiness to every believer who feels drawn into sexual sin. That's a powerful statement. Finally, letter C, recognize that the most important thing about your identity is not related to sex, but to your savior. The most important thing about who you are has nothing to do with sex. It has everything to do with your savior. And I love these last, this last article I want to read for you today. It's the last article in this statement. It says, we affirm that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners and that through Christ's death and resurrection, forgiveness of sins and eternal life are available to every person who repents of sin and trusts in Christ alone as Savior, Lord, and I love this last phrase, as supreme treasure, Conversely, we deny that the Lord's arm is too short to save or that any sinner is beyond his reach. Our goal for this series, we really believe that it's so important for you to understand God's design, but also it better equips you to be a person of Jesus influence in your oikos. And that's my prayer for you this week, as you would absorb this reality and go, God, help me I want to live your way. And God, help me to be a person of influence in my oikos this week. Let's pray. Father, I just want to say thank you so very, very much for your word. Without it, we would be adrift. Without it, we would just be making it up as we go. Without it, we would just do what seems right to us. But I'm so grateful that you've given us not only this gift of sex, but you've given us your word to help us understand not only what it is, but why it is. And so thank you for being that kind of good father to us. If you're here today and you would say, Todd, it's not just a problem of how I've lived outside of God's design related to sex. I've lived my whole life outside of God's design and I need help. I need forgiveness. I wanna tell you there's great news for you. We've talked about it throughout our time today. It begins with you simply confessing, admitting that. A, admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Would you B, believe? Would you believe that this God, man, that we've talked about today, this Jesus, that he lived a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death 2,000 years ago that still atones for you today. I believe that he was supernaturally raised from the dead defeating sin and death once for all? Would you see choose? Choose to say, Jesus, I put my confidence and trust in what you've done, not in what I can somehow do to earn something from you. And I wanna live the rest of my life following your example. You can make that decision today. There's no steps, no hoops, no classes, but it begins with that ABC prayer. And I pray you wouldn't let another day go by until you do. Father, this week, empower us to not just know what we know, but live what we know in a supernatural way. We love you and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.